0: You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Avram and I hope you enjoy this episode. This is a re-release of a she'er dedicated to the life and ideas of Rabbi Yosevenko, but zeroing in on something which many uh, what people who have worked on Rabbi Yosevenko have, have ignored, which that is his psokim. It starts with a biography. It's followed by Rabduvi Weiss, who gives you different Torah that typify the brilliant approach of Rabbi Yosef Engel and emphasize the aspect of machshava or Ashkofa that are contained in Rabbi Yosef Engel's ideas, followed by a psaq of Rabbi Yosef Engel, which I believe aligns with the category of this sheer which was given under our chasidrish psaq. I think it's worth uh, uh, another listen to even if you've heard it before here it is I I'd have to say that Rabbi Yosef Engel is unique in, in so many ways um, there are people if actually if you, you, if you talk to one people in the, in the Torah world in the yeshiva world about Rabbi Yosef Engel and his Sforim and what he has done most people wouldn't even connect him to the Chassidah Um they wouldn't realize that he grew up as a person who was uh, from a family that was to chasidim, as they were chasidim them themselves, uh, from his father and his mother. from the, They were connected to the great Dibre Chaim, Chaim of Tzans. Um, and uh, they, through his um, mother's family, they were connected also through uh, to the the famous Rav of Lushinsk. So there was no question about it that in Torna, where he was born, um, in, uh, that this was a place that was steeped in Chesidus. By the time he was born in 1859, I believe it was, because it was, you have to take a look, it was Zion Hanukkah of Tafresh Tess. Might have actually been, uh, you have to take a look and see if that was 1858 or 1859. It was on the seventh night of Hanukkah he was born. Um, Chesidus already had entrenched itself in ways that, Uh, It wasn't in an embryonic stage. There were already rabbonim and place, and the Chaim, of course, uh, was already uh, renowned in the halachic world as someone whose rulings needed to be considered as almost as important as the Chassam saifra and others. Again, it never, I don't know if the Chaim ever reached that type of level, but people understood that the Chaim was a place, and a rov that some achzadeks, chubas, I think, were already. From the Lubavitcher, the third Lubavitcher Rebbe, were already well known. So the idea of a Chasidisher Paisik at this point was pretty prevalent. Rabbi Yosef Engel, I have to say, as uh, powerful as a mind as he was, is not primarily known as a Paisik. Yet he was clearly living in the world of Chasidus, the world of Chasidisha Rebis, the world of Chasidim, the Kabbeda of Chasidim, the Oyel Mamar of Chasidim. But as I said before. In the in the in the uh, invitation, he was really in a way beyond Hasidus. Um, yes, he was connected to and his family to tzans Connected uh, uh, in his youth, uh, he married a. Um, uh, in his youth, he was also well known by the by by Hasidus They had heard about him. They had heard about this great genius. The truth was, all of his family. Even his, his brothers were all known as very brilliant people. From what the research that I've done, shown that his father, although was clearly uh, connected and held himself like a tzatzah chosid, um, was involved in business, was involved as a businessman, and um, was actually a person who was a contract expert. And it seems like he, was, uh, pretty, he knew how to uh, stride within, I would say, the secular world. I don't have... I'm not hundred percent sure about uh, his comfort level there, but it's clear that he was able to provide uh, for his family and especially for this son of his, this Rabbi Yosef, uh, a an atmosphere where he could thrive. With Bikius, um, he he was known to have said that unless you can count all the letters. Of the Rashi and Tesas, meaning you know your Rashi and Taisus cold until you know how much letters were, that it, you shouldn't necessarily go to any other Svarim. But if anybody went to other Svarim, it was him. His his knowledge in in, in, in Svarim, Sifrei Psak and shuvas uh, it's it's outstanding. It's outstanding and it's 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 you're flabbergasted by how much he knew. And I think he started to build, although he, he said he built it in a fundamental way. He built his incredible mindset from the beginning, from when he was young. His father was able to support him. And, uh, you know, in Tatarney, he was known as the Tarni Ili, and people came from all over just to test him, to talk with him, um, to sort of, in a way, um, enjoy the brilliance of someone whose memory was was faultless and someone who could speak like a wunderkind who could speak about almost anything. Uh, at a... Uh, his, uh, he was married uh, at around 19, um, and that's when he moved to the city of Bendin, or Benzin, um, which at that point was on, was, was, was in Tsarist, Russia. and it was there that he lived in the home of uh, his shver, who provided for him for a while, um, and he was a, and those of you that were uh, Zohar, about the Avni Nazar last week, know about the greatness of the Avni Um, And although there was about a 20-year difference between them in age, the Avni Nazar held of uh, Rabbi Yosef Engel had them in great regard. Uh, it, se- it seems like there were numerous visits to Sokhotrov, in fact, uh, in the in the writings of Rabbi Yosef Engel, which are <laughs> amazing. Um, the amount that he wrote, and unfortunately the amount that wasn't published, he writes in one place that he uh, had 101 svarim still yet to be printed. So he printed about um, 11 or 15 svarim, I think, if you count uh, something that he wrote by his mother's Avelas, the Sheva de Nechamta, um, and in the Beis HaLitzer and some of the other svarim that he wrote. And so this is a man who we know at least wrote 120 svarim. Um, and many of them, he said he worked on in those in the early years, the early years, even from the time he was thirteen, but then when he came to um, when he came to Bentin, he was uh, able to visit, as I said, with the Sochach al Rebbe. Uh, he writes a number of places there that Chocham um, Echad and his grandchildren have said that in the original manuscripts it actually has this, uh, the Rebbe's name. Why he didn't want to keep the Rebbe's name in his books, I'm not sure. Part of it was probably because he might have disagreed with them and the covet of for the covet of the Avnei Nazar, uh, he decided to print the sefer without the Abne Nazar's name. But it's 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 very well known that the Chassidim loved him, and he was he felt a tremendous connection to them. Uh, in, in another way, he is very much a Chasidish uh, Rav. Now again, he wasn't really a Rav in Benin, although the uh, rabbanim who were um, the Rabbonim who were um, in the city, Aribisafra Beirish, would would always um, uh, push towards him their most difficult questions. I'm not sure if this is true or not. Um, um, you know Ben any, you can you could you could respond to this if you think this is true. But I think there was something similar in the um, uh, in uh, in uh, Broad where you know, the base of Ephraim was not the official but Ephraim Salmargovus was not the official roof of the city. Um, he did sit in the bezdin and give sokim, but, you know, and, but it's possible that when very difficult questions came up, they realized, even though he didn't have an official position, they wanted to get his Das. And there are, there is records of Rabbi Yosef Engel. In fact, one of the things which I want to share with you later is a tshuva that he wrote to the Rav of Ben-Din, where he was not the rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Engel, but the rabbi wanted some help. And he helped Pasken Shaila, that really helped someone, um, uh, who was in a very desperate dire strait, which hopefully we'll get to, we'll see when, uh, as we get to a little bit later. The point is, is that he wasn't, uh, he was writing as and being involved in Psak in a, in a, in a moderate way. Later on in his life, uh, through a number of Gilgulim, um, after he was in, uh, when he was, uh, because of the Russo-Japanese War and other things in the beginning of the turn of the century, towards the turn of the century, he ended up becoming a Dayan in Krakow, and it was there that we find Rios Wengel actually being involved in Piskadina. We find his names on various hachroses, various uh, community uh, announcements and proclamations. It was there that he, uh, in a way, I guess, sort of came into his own, but even there, nobody refers to him as the the, the Avdesdin of Krakow, which he essentially was, uh, although he was really beyond and as I said, beyond any place um, and um, greater, in fact, than any of his works. When we think about the Chaim, or even the Abne Nazar from last week, most people do not say Rabbi Fram Borenstein. They say the Abnei Uh, with Rabbi Yosef Engel, as magnificent as his works are, he's not known as the Asfindar Isis says. If someone does say that, then he's a little bit on the, uh, uh, an outlier. Again, I've been around for a long time. I've heard of Yosef Engel's name, I guess, since in, in, uh, the first time I discovered it myself was, I would assume, I guess I was probably, I didn't hear that much in Arius Roll when I was Yeshiva, to tell you the truth, and with fishish that I learned it. But when I went to, um, on my own, to Florida afterwards, it was there that I discovered. um, the, who Rabbi Yosef Engel was, but I, when I speak with people about Rabbi Yosef Engel, I, I nobody says to me, "Oh, take a look at what the Asvendaraisa says." There's the Ktzuyis, the Pnei Yeshua, but Rabbi Yosef Engel, I think it's Halleluah that that he is greater. Even in the magnificent works that he wrote, which are, as I said, you're they are you are flabbergasted by their greatness. Still, he is somehow greater than 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 the than his corpus. He isn't the Chofetz Chaim. He isn't. Look, in the, he's Rabbi Yosef Engel. And I, I think there's something similar with Ramanacham Zemba. I think Ramanacham Zemba, people uh, people probably, you know, they're not going to say, oh, the Zambu, the writes or the Tzatzchayim rights. There's something about the, 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 the greatness of the person that his stamp is on everything. Anyway, I'm not sure how significant of a point that is. But I think, as I said, Rabbi Yosef Engel's uh, Influence is, is great, especially among mature thinkers and the ilma yeshivas. It's exciting and wonderful and brilliant. Uh, in 2012, I had the of meeting Rabbi Toby Weiss uh, and talking to him and learning. And it was within a couple of times of speaking with him and learning that I sensed a tremendous affinity between Rabbi Weiss and Rabbi Yosef Engel. In fact, I said to him, you know, this is a Rabbi Yosef Engel type of idea. And he says, you know, that's my favorite, that's my favorite Sefer. I always look there. That's, uh, I really see him as a, as, as my Rebbe. I said, you can, you can tell. And throughout the years, uh, the many years that I've uh, had the merit to know Rabbi Weiss, and speaking and learning, I hear the, uh, I sense and see and the spirit of Rabbi Yosef Engel, and many times, some, sometimes even the exact ideas that Rabbi Weiss has been to, uh, very close to it. And the simcha that Rabbi Weiss has when he's able to, um, to realize that what he said is really in line or even mirrors what Rabbi Yosef Engel says is, is immense. So there was no one really uh, quicker in my mind to ask to present about Rabbi Yosef Engel than Rabbi Weiss. Rabbi Weiss,
1: if you would, and uh, Rabbi Yosef Engel is, uh, I always found to be very, very interesting, uh, not just interesting, but so deep, but on, on, a, on a level that I didn't necessarily, or I don't, we don't necessarily find so often in other uh, achronim, and that is that his, his uh, nature is to uh, go to the great depths of Lomdus and Chakiras, almost like you feel like you're reading a briska sefer, uh, and then uh, uh, very smoothly uh, entering into the world of machshava, and there is no chiluk b'nei him. It's all one Khativa uh, achas. It's all one uh, grouping, one learning. And I always found that to be very, very, uh, it always touched me in a, not just in, a, in, a, in an analytic way, in an intellectual way, but he has a way of touching it both analytically, intellectually, and emotionally. Uh, I remember when Rav Shach passed away a number of years ago. So Rav, uh, Rav, Rav Olbaum from Queens, Rav Noach Isaac Olbaum, uh, was giving a um, um, was giving a hespit on, on the shloshim of Rav Shach and I was my wife and I were living in Queens at the time, and uh, he told the following mice, he told that Rav Shach was a young boy, he was traveling with his father somewhere, and somehow he ended up in the town where Rabbi Yosef Engel uh, was the Rav, and uh, he wanted a, the, Rav Shach's father wanted to bring the young Rav Shach to, uh, to to meet Rabbi Yosef Engel, so they came to the house on Shabbos, and the Rebetzin opened the door, and the father um, of, of Menachem Shach said, um said, I'd like to, my son should be able to meet the great angle is the, is the Rav here? So the said, he's here, but he's sleeping, and I can't, you can't come in now. So the uh, the father said, I'll call upon him still, I, if it's possible, you know, we can come back later, but we came, we, is it possible at least to get a glimpse of the great gone? So they said, okay, you can get a glimpse, but tiptoe in, and you have to be very quiet. So she says, okay, so they tiptoed in. And, um, and they saw that Rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Engel was sleeping over his Gemara, but his right hand was moving like he was learning. So he, he was sleeping and learning at the same time. The number of svarim that, uh, that he wrote, uh, I'm, I'm only familiar with a few of them, with the famous ones, the Aspan Daraisa, and the Lechach Tov, and the B'fura Shmonim, and the Beis Ha'odsa, which we're going to talk about a little bit today, are just so filled. And so packed. There's very little fluff, if I could say that. It's just so packed. And every, every page is another chiddush. It's really something special to be able to... to Rabbi Avramel said that I, I call him my Rebbe. If, if I could be... If I would be a Talmud Sheva, Talmud a Talmud, Talmud it would be as great as So I, I tried as much as possible to incorporate his ideas into my shiurim. And it's a, really a great honor. Just recently, I was talking to Rabbi Avramel about a thought from Rabbi Yosef Engel that I wanted to share. There is a concept in halacha called anase dochalotas. You know, we're coming up to the we're coming up to the Yom uh, Norayim, and um, the 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 Gemara in Rosh Hashanah brings down from Rev Kuspidai says that uh, there are three books Shlosh Shvarim of But Rosh Hashanah, there are three books that are open on Rosh Hashanah, and uh, we know that one is the uh, the the Sefer HaChaim the Sefer the Sefer and the Gemara says that, um, that uh, the, the tzaddikim are nechtavim v'nechtavim and the rishayim are nechtavim v'nechtavim l'alto l'misa. And uh, the Sfarim all ask, uh, what's going on? Uh, how is it possible to say such a thing? All the rishayim are, are written and signed uh, uh, for the book of, of Misa. We see plenty of rishayim, and it's not always so simple to figure out who's a rasha, but sometimes we have an idea. And uh, we have many wonderful, great Roshayim who are walking around. They live this year, next year, another 20 years. How can they say it's against the mitzvahs? So there's different answers that are given. The Arve Nachal brings an answer where he says that the person, the same way the body is made up of different parts, the Neshama is also made up of different parts. There's the Nefesh, there's the Ruach, there's the Neshama. So um, he explains that, uh, that what it means that the, the Roshas, Nechtav and Nechtav is that he loses access to the higher portions of his neshama. That when a person's a Russia, the neshama part of the neshama leaves the body, it can't, uh, they can't dwell in such a wicked environment. And the rush is only left with the lower part of the soul called the nefesh. As it says, Vyoshma, nefeshahi, and based on this, the Shemishmul says, we'll get to the Yosef angle in a minute, but the Shemishmul says that, um, the Mul writes that for this reason is why Asse's Dochalotase. Asi is dochalotase, because uh, the asse, when someone does a mitzvah asse, so it's done with the highest part of the neshama, and when someone does a, a, someone violates an avera, so the neshama temporarily leaves, and then the avera is done with the lower part of the neshama, with the nefesh, the oshma and So therefore, asse, which comes from a higher part of the neshama, is dochalotase. So long. Um, while we're talking about Asa dochalotah say, I was thinking of Rabbi Yosef Engel because uh, there's a Ramban that's often quoted in Parshish Yisro that explains a different reason why the assay is dochalotah say. Because the asse mitzvah is done from the midah of ahava. When someone loves someone, so they do things for them. They do things for them. They they bring flowers when we so out of our love for Hashem. That's the core of the yisod of the mitzvah that we do. The two hundred forty eight mitzvahs are rooted in the Midah of Ahava, like Avraham was rooted in Chesed, Ahava, loving and embracing people. So the Mitzvah the 248 Mitzvah which is Gematria, Avraham, are performed out of a Midah, out of the Midah of Ahava. However, the Mitzvah's Lotaseh are performed because of Yira generally. We don't do something because we don't want to get, uh, we don't want to, we don't want, we have a certain awe or a certain fear, let's say. So that's the Lotaseh has come from Yira and the Asseh come from Ahava. The, the, one of the svarim that Rabbi Yosef Engel wrote was called the Glyoni The Glyoni Ashas are not long horrors um, uh, that he writes on all of Shas. And he has on Yerushalmi as well. And Yerushalmi and Zroyim, Rabbi Yosef Engel explains as follows. Based on this Ramban, we can explain a wonderful Gemara. The Gemara says in Zvachim that even though we have this concept of that an ase, a ase is docha, Mrs lota lotase, that does not apply in the Migdash. Doesn't apply in the base hamigdash. We would not apply the concept of asay docha lotase, and it's not clear the gemara never says why that should be. Why should it be that a mitzvah say is not docha lotase in the migdash? If it's if you have a concept of, of a principle of asay docha so why shouldn't that apply in the migdash? Rabbi Yosef Engel writes something that again is halocha and machshava at the same time. It's all one. It says that we understand that in the base hamigdash it was a place that was focused on the Yirah Shemayim, on Yirah Hashem. The Beis Hamidosh is built on Har HaMoriah, from Lushan Yira. There's a certain Yirah, a certain Or, a person has to dress a certain way. You can't come in with your shoes. You can't leave your, you can't come in with your phone. You can't come in with your wallet. You have to leave all that by the side. You can't make the Beis Hamidosh into a shortcut. There's a certain level of Or and Yirah that takes place in the Beis Hamidosh. So much so, Yosef Engel explains that even the Mitzvah say that we do in the Migdosh, are coming from the middle of Yira. Everything, the base of everything is Yira. And if everything is Yira, that's why Aseh is not Docha, the Lotaseh in the Mikdash. The reason why Aseh is Docha, Lotaseh is because Ahava, Mitzvah say neutralizes the Lotaseh, which comes from Yira. So the Mitzvah of comes from Ahava, not to where Kalayim comes from Yira. But when you put the two together, so ase is dochalotase. You can wear tzitzis even if it's going to mean that at the same time you're going to be wearing kalayim. However, in the base of in the base you do not apply mitzvahs. You don't apply the concept of ase dochalotase because in the base even the mitzvahs ase came from the world of yira, and therefore there's no ahavat being doha yira. It's all yira, and therefore that's how the Yosef Engel explains that there's no ase dochalotase in the mikdash. I wanted to share another thought. Rabbi Yosef Engel in one of his svarim, very important sefer called the Beis HaOtzer. The Beis HaOtzer. I didn't know this. It doesn't say this in the um, in the in the Sharblat of the Beis HaOtzer. But of Shechter once explained that the Beis HaOtzer was really meant to be uh, encyclopedia of Rabbi Yosef Engel's own works. He wrote an encyclopedia in order to reference all the Torah that he wrote and all his other svarim. Rabbi Vremel, how many uh, svarim does Rabbi Yosef Engel have? I think it's.
0: There's 30 volumes of notebooks that were lost. And unfortunately, because it was in it was in Krakow and then in Vienna. So it was all lost by the Holocaust. So there is actually there's only two volumes it only gets up to Aleph and Bayes, I believe. Exactly.
1: It's a tremendous loss because but he has an Aleph and Bay. He doesn't even finish Bays. He starts with Aleph, 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 Bayes, Aleph, Gimel, Aleph, Dalit, all words. And he, he's referencing what he's writing in all his other Svarim, but Rabbi Ramel just 120 Svarim. So he was a, an absolute uh, a, a encyclopedia, really, of, of, of his own Torah, which is so amazing and deep. His very first piece in Beis so he discusses the status of the Avos. Status of the Avos. is a big machlokus, and we've shown him whether the Avos had this status of a Ben Yisrael or Ben Nawak. It's a little bit funny to call Avraham and Yitzhak and Yaakov Goyim. <laughs> it's a little bit of a funny concept. But the truth is, many of the Rishonim hold that they were Bnei Noach. They were Bnei Noach. They were not used to, The Torah had not been given, and before Matan Torah, there really is very little. Con- there's no concept of someone who's a Yisrael, not a Yisrael, till Matan Torah, till we had the Gerus that took place in Mitzrayim and then at Har So there is no, uh, there is no concept of a Yisrael. So therefore, even the Avos were not yatzum Michlal Bnei Noach. They were part of, they were part of Bnei Noach. And the big question that's always asked is, wait a minute, if it's true that the, um, that they were, they were not, they were, they were not, if it's true that the ovos are and have the status of Bnei Noach, there's a halacha that someone who's a Ben Noach cannot keep Shabbos. Someone who's a Ben Noach is not allowed to learn Torah. So if the Gemara says that the avos kept Kol the ovos kept, uh, which includes Shabbos, and Torah, they learned Torah. Even the fact that Noah learned Torah is also a question. How does Noah learn Torah? The Gemara says, Malamich, Noah learned Torah from the fact that he was able to distinguish between those animals that were kosher and the animals that were not kosher. Is it shy of to say that Avra, Mitzvah, and did not keep Shabbos? The truth is, the question is a little bit funny, even though many of the achronim deal with it. It could be when it says that they kept the mitzvahs, maybe they didn't actually physically do the mitzvahs, they just were able to draw down whatever that uh, spiritual energy that comes from doing mitzvahs. But that being said, in the middle of the discussion, in the middle of the discussion of whether the Avos kept mitzvahs or not, on the very first os, in the very first piece, in his, um, in, in his uh, Be'es Otsar, the, um, the, the Rabbi Yosef Engel wants to know, well, why is it that a Ben-Noach, that a guy is not allowed to keep Shabbos? Why not? What's the, what's the problem? Why can't a Ben-Noach keep Shabbos with something... Something wrong? Someone wants to keep Shabbos. Let him keep Shabbos. The Gemara says that Ben Noach Shabbos is Chayif Misa. He wants to know why. He calls him Arshon Sanhedrin. And then he gives his own Mahalach. He explains as follows. Explains as follows. The whole Yisod of Shabbos and Torah is at the L'mala Minateva. They're above the world of nature. You know that uh, Shabbos is called Anachla B'li Mitzor and the Gemara in Shabbos. Shabbos, someone who keeps Shabbos is eventually going to be Zoch and inherit inheritance that has no borders. Torah, of course, is is infinite, it's forever, it represents, and is HaKadosh Baruch, who's Seichel Kaviyachel, as the Balatanya points out in the beginning of his Sefer. So he explains that those areas of Torah that represent most fully the concept of that which is above the gvulim, above boundaries, have no sheiches to a Ben Noach. A Ben Noach comes... From this world, they're connected to Olam Hazeh, and those areas specifically Shabbos and Torah, which are areas that are l'malim mm-hmm. hagvul ateva. A guy has no Shaykhah, so the guy is not allowed to be uh, keeping Shabbos in that in that area. That's how he explains the halach of Shavas Chayv Misa. Person who has no place in that area that's l'malim ateva, so that's why the guy cannot keep uh, cannot keep Shabbos. Is not allowed. To learn Torah, in terms of answering the question, so wait, so then how were the avos able to to keep Shabbos and Torah? As he explains very simply: it's 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 not, If the whole reason why the guy is not allowed to learn to keep Shabbos and learn Torah is because they're from the world of Gvulim, as opposed to Shabbos and Torah, which is a which which stems, which flows, which represents, which connects to a world which is Menagmul, above boundaries, above time. So therefore, that doesn't apply to the avos. It's true the avos may have the status of a ben nalach, but they are the harbinger. They are the beginning of the cloudy yisrael, <laughs> and therefore, they, oh, despite them being having the halachic status of a ben nalach, they would be allowed to keep shabbos and learn torah because they come from that world, which is the beginning of cloudy yisrael, which is the malam and agvul, the malam and That's what Yosef Engel's uh, very first. What he talks about in his very first piece in the base HaOtzer. just last night. Um, one of my sons uh, came over to me to ask me a question. the He He's learning the Perek which is the ninth Parak in Gittin. So he asked me a question to explain the Gemara. So I asked him if he could bring me my Gemara. He took out my Gemara. On the very side of the page, it says, So uh, it, it was a basher that I should be speaking have This is speaking a little bit about of Yosef Engel. And the particular shah that he had, is the Gemara, and this is typical or standard, something that Rabbi Yosef Engel would do, So he would take a concept and just discuss every single area and every single tzad, every single way of looking at that particular concept. Matter of fact, I remember Rav Shekhtar told us that there was someone who was, uh, I think, fundraising from the Yeshuv and Eretz Israel, and he was going through all of Europe, and he made his way to Rab Chaim, and then he made his way to Rabbi Yosef Engel. And when he came back at some point, someone asked him, so what do you, what's the difference in Rab Chaim Brisk Rabbi Yosef Engel. Do you see a difference? Is there a, is there a Hevdal between them? So he said they're both off the charts. They're both great going. The only difference is that Rabbi Yosef Engel brings more proofs for his study, for his hakiris, for his approaches than Rab Chaim. Rabbi Chaim's safer. He has a safer. He brings a few proofs to a certain mahalach, a certain hakira that he has. And he moves on. Rabbi Yosef Engel is, uh, he brings a hakira, and then he brings proofs from all over Shas. From everywhere, from Mordechai, you name it. He's in uh, midrashim. He doesn't. There's no shortage of the rias that he brings. The end of the story, by the way, goes that when someone came back around to Rabchaim and uh, Reb Chayim said, "So where 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 have you been?" He says, it's Rabbi Yosef Engel." So they, the story is that uh, they said to Rab "So what do you think, of Rabbi Yosef Engel is great? He has more proofs than you." <laughs> so the story goes that Reb Chayim went down into his into his drawer and he pulled out hundreds of pages of proofs. He goes, you want proofs? I have proofs too. I just don't put them all into the safer. So uh, anyway, this particular Hakira that we were discussing last night is the Yisod of a concept of, of a person who's called the Yavama Lashuk, a woman who is, whose husband passes away without, uh, without having any children. So she becomes what we call a Yavama. And the Halacha is that she's not allowed to marry anyone except for the, one of the brothers, ideally the oldest brother. One of the living brothers of the husband who passed away, the widow can only marry one of the brothers of the of the husband who passed away, assuming that she passed away, that he passed away without any children. So the hakira that Rabbi Yosef Engel is somewhat famous for is, what exactly is the reason? What is the reason why she can't marry out, why she can't marry someone from the Shuk, why she can't marry some person out the, on the street? Why can she only marry the husband who is... Um, who is uh, actually married one of the brothers of the husband, of her husband who passed away. So there's a few different, maybe three or four different approaches that he suggests. One of them is as follows. It's just a very interesting concept. One of them is as follows. When a woman marries a man, you have to discuss, is a woman married to the man forever and ever? Or is a woman married to the man so long as the man is alive? man's alive. If the man passes away, they're no longer married. Once a man passes away, so it's not that... She needs a heter to remarry. The whole yesod of Kedushin, of Nesu, and of marriage is between a live man and a live woman. If the man passes away, so the woman is free to marry anyone else. Not because, it's not like he gave her a get. It's not, Misa, dying is not a type of a get. It's just the metzius. Once the person's no longer alive, so then there's no, there's no marriage to talk about. The marriage is, by definition, has been dissolved. That's what I would have said. That's it. That's, that's what it sounds like in the Gemara in Kedush Dav Beis, it says that Misa is Mishmaya. it comes Mishmaya when a woman is able to marry someone else. It's Mishmaya. just the, the, the Torah says, that uh, happens automatically. Rabbi Yosef Engel suggests it's not what happens, That's not what happens at all. When a woman's married to a man, then are married forever and ever, oddly olam The man dies, so that's like a heter. It's a special heter. it's like giving a get. Either you can give a get, or you can, uh, or you can, uh, a person has Misa. They say over a story, Is as an aside from from Rabbi Kiva Eger, there was a certain man who refused to give his wife a get. And uh, Rebbe Kiva Eger was arguing with the man, telling him he's a Khiv from the bezin that he has to give a get. So the man says, I'm not giving a get. Or Kiva Eger said, you have two options. The Mishnah says, you can even, your, your wife's going to be able to remarry either by you giving a get, or by the Misa's habal, you have to take a choice. He says, I'm not giving a get. And the story is that he, he, he slipped down the stairs on the way out of the Besden and he passed away. The wife was able to remarry. So uh, don't argue with Kivehagar. So this hakira that Rabbi Yosef Engel wants to know is when you talk about Misa of a Baal, it's not just that there's no Baal the mother she can remarry. It's a, it's a, it's a hetar. It's like the Baal giving her a get by him having died, she now can remarry. However, that heter is not in all situations. And if there's a brother that's alive in a situation where the husband didn't have any children, then the heter is not given, which means that the reason why she can't remarry, the reason why she can't remarry someone else besides the brother, because her marriage to the first husband is still in place. It, never, it was never released. Now, it's a funny thing. How can the marriage still be in place? The man is dead. The Be'osef Engel is mechadish. In one tzad of his that no, no, a, man, a woman's married to a man forever and ever. If he dies, there's a hector, but sometimes that hector doesn't apply. When does it not apply? When there's a brother who's alive in a situation where the man doesn't have any children, then uh, she can uh, not remarry. That's where Yavama Lashuk comes from. The other side that we were discussing last night is that maybe not. Maybe when a man dies, that halacha of the original ishus of the original marriage is dissolved. Anytime a person dies, if he's married to a woman, she is able to remarry automatically. But the Torah says that there's a new marriage that comes up. There's a new marriage. Without getting married, there's an automatic marriage that is created in a situation where someone dies without children. And the man has a brother. There's an automatic marriage that comes between the widow and one of the brothers. So it's not that she's still married to the original husband. It's that she now is newly married to one of the brothers. This is one of the uh, styles Uh, that Rabbi Yosef Engel was very uh, popular for. He would take a concept, he would make a Chakira, he would develop the Chakira, and then he'd bring proofs from here to there. In this particular case, he brings a proof. It's very so... Sometimes the Gemara is almost screaming at us what the Chakira is. The Gemara says, it's, it's clear, the Gemara wants to know, is the woman unable to remarry someone else besides the husband who now passed away? And one of the brothers because of the husband or because of the brother? I mean, it's it's as clear as day. Sometimes we miss it. Rabbi, Rabbi Yosef Engel was there to, to elaborate and, and, and show us what was very clear in the, uh, in, in the Gemara itself. Another something that I was uh, looking at and, and wrote about in one of, um, in one of the Svartim, the mishnahs Yad, is uh, Rabbi Yosef Engel has a chakira about the nature of hegdish. The nature of hegdish. What's the, what's the idea of hegdish? Hegdish means that before you bring an animal on, as a carbon on the Mizbeach. So you have to be maktish, the animal. You can't just walk your animal into the base Hamikdash and ask the Kohen to bring your animal as a carbon. What you first have to do it. You have to be maktish, the animal. You have to consecrate the animal. You have to say, hare zu ola. You have to go over to the animal. To the, I don't know if you have to go over to the animal, but you have to uh, um, um, uh, reference the animal in your statement. Hare zu ola, hare zu shlamim, hare zu chatos. And then after you maktish the animal, then you bring the animal as a carbon. Rabbi Yosef Engel has a a, a a beautiful thought, which is developed by Achronim, a post Rabbi Yosef Engel, is uh, whether the nature of Hekdish is the nature of Hekdish something that comes before the Hakrava? Is it a is it a preparatory stage that we do before we are Makriv a carpet on the or is the Hekdish the Trila of the Hakrava? It's actually part of the Hakrava itself. It's not that you have to be maktish an animal in order to be makriven on the mizbayach. No, it's actually more than that. Part of being an animal is by being makdashit. An that the first it begins when a person declares "Harezu Allah, and with this concept, he develops a very interesting yisod. It's a little bit complicated. It's a concept called dikhoy. The aloch is that if something is at one point unable to be brought on the mizbeach, even if the problem that it had disappears, that animal can no longer be brought on the mizbeach. It's called dikhoi. Dikhoi means that once it's not acceptable, even if the reason why it wasn't acceptable is no longer extant, it's no longer there, the problem has been removed, it doesn't matter, you can't bring the animal on the mezbeach. The Joseph Engel explains that there's one position that says, even if the animal has never been shechted, Let's say you have an animal that uh, you're machdish, you say, and then something happens that makes it puzzle. What could happen that can make an animal puzzle? Very interesting. Let's say the man becomes not religious entirely and he rejects everything. It becomes what we call a mumer. So the law is a mumer can't bring his carbon on the Mizbah, It's not acceptable. So the law is that that animal, even after the man does goes to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, he has access to his neshama again. He's very excited. He wants to bring his animal. He had an animal in his barn. He was maktash. Then he went off to denrach. He comes back. He cannot bring the animal on the mizbeach. Why not? Because of dikhoy. Biyosan explains this position must be holding. That hektish is not just a preparatory stage before one is mock of an animal on the mizbeach. It's much more than that. The hektish is that it's part of the Hakrava. So once you're in the middle of the Hakrava, and then something happens that makes the animal unacceptable on the mezbeach. It doesn't matter that that problem goes away. You can't, in the middle of the ha'krova, have a, have a time period where the animal can no longer be brought and then come back. That's how Rabbi Yosef Engel explains the yesod. It's a difficult concept called Bale chayim nidachim. Even if the animal's alive, it's, it's alive. Not that you haven't shechted it yet. Even when it's alive, so long as you are makdish the animal... If something happened that the animal for five minutes was unable to be brought on the Mizbeach, it can no longer be brought on the Mizbeach anymore. Why? Because the Hektish was the beginning of the Hakrava. It wasn't just a hachana for the Hakrava, but it was the Tchila of the Hakrava. And since it was the Tchila of the Hakrava, therefore, it's Nidchele Olam, and that's how he explains his doctrine. Again, it's just, just different ideas. hope we got a little bit of a flavor of the style of Rabbi Yosef Engel, both in the world of machshava. And in the world of uh, of halacha and lamdus, and uh, once again, there's so I mean, there's so much more to say. It was the following: there was a man living in Bendin who his wife had
0: become a shelta. His wife had become halachically unable to receive a get. Uh, a get, although it can be given according to the Torah, uh, even without her rishus, without her das. The, as we're going to talk about the haram remain Gershom changed things. However. The woman, even, she needs to have the mental acuity to be able to receive a gift. If she doesn't have that mental acuity, you're still married to that person. Now, the problem was, his wife had clearly suffered uh, the type of mental breakdown situation that she was uh, objectively considered a shota, someone who uh, was not uh, in charge of their own situation and their faculties were not uh, competent enough and it was obviously someone he couldn't live with as well she might have even been uh, under you know uh, i don't know if she there was no i don't know if she was institutionalized but he was not able to live with her and had been for years the man wanted to marry another wife but he couldn't give a divorce to the first one now so what's the problem so we know there was a etza that was used in europe I'm not sure if it was in the Sephardi world as well, called the Heter Meir Rabonim, that the ister the of marrying a second wife is the Cheyem um, Rabbeinu Gershom. Could we get a hundred Rabbonim, of important Talmud HaChomim, to allow that marriage to take place? A Heter Meir Rabbonim. Now, the problem was, even though there, he might have been able to get the Meir Rabonim, the hundred rabbis, the problem was, is that he's still married to wife number one. And there's a responsibility to provide for her. That's part of the chiv and the Perhaps even more than that. And if the man was 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 not wealthy, he couldn't just keep. He wasn't like Rochester in Jane Eyre. He wasn't able uh, to to help support his wife that had uh, that had lost her mind. And well, Rochester obviously didn't. <laughs> didn't support his wife in any nice way at all. But he didn't have them, at least he had the funds to be able to do that. This man did not. And because of that, maybe the heterme rabbonim can't work because the cheir because rabbeinu uh to allow it, you need the hundred rabonim, but you can't leave the wife in, in such a stage where no one's taking care of her. Who's going to provide for her? And since he doesn't have enough money to take on a second wife, and to be able to provide whatever care the first wife needed, so we shouldn't allow him to marry this uh, new wife. Now, um, Rav Rav Yosef Engel <laughs> mentions he says the ra- rabbi, you sent me your 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 own decision here, your own investigation. He says you mentioned a whole bunch of svarim which I don't have. <laughs> I guess which which shows you that. You know he knew about them, but he didn't have them. He says, "I can tell you that uh, the, I do have a trubas Rikivager." He mentions, "I do have a trubas Nitzib," which was sort of hot off the press. That much he did have. He says, "I did look in Rikivager, and Rikivager says that it's possible that the chayim Rabbeinu gershom does not apply when the wife, your first wife, has become uh, mentally imbalanced." And that was Veger's approach to allow the chayim. Rav Yosef Engel, though, however, says it could be from the Gemara itself that it's user to marry a second wife. He quotes the Gemara in Yevomis. Rav Ami says, That if a person marries a second wife, you the, your, your first wife uh, could demand her Ksuva, and she wants payment right away. I didn't want another wife here. I didn't want to be in a situation where I'm married to some, another, another woman comes into the house. That was Rav Ami. Now, Ravami's halakha is even if the reason why you're marrying that second wife is in order because the first wife can't have children. So even if the first wife can't have children or you don't know if you can have children with her, Ravami holds that the first wife can say, look, you want to get a second wife because you want to have children? You've got to pay me off. You've got to allow me to get on with my life. That was Ravami. Rava says... If a person wants to, this is before Aben Gershom, of course, from the Gemara. A person can marry as many; he can marry many, multiple women. However, You have to be able to support them. So, in other words, Rav Yosef Engel now says it turns out that according to Rova. If you have a person who can't support two wives, and this man cannot support two wives because one wife needs the care of the, the, the show to care needs, and the second wife is going to need a parna, is going to need to be fed and taken care of as well, he doesn't have enough money. So if he doesn't have enough money. According to uh, according to Rava, it's also to marry a second wife. So you can't just say a What was the chem Ravenu Gershom? And maybe the chem Ravenu Gershom doesn't apply. From the Gemara itself, it would be also to marry a second wife if you're not able to support two. And we know that uh, there is a machleikas between the Rambam and the Ramo. The Rambam holds that if a woman becomes a Shaita, that you are able to, um, you are able, you don't have to keep on supporting her. That is the Shaita of the Rambam. But the Ramo says not like that. The Ramo paskins that as terrible as the situation is, you still have to pay for her meals and she still has to be fed by you. So um, he, quote, he says that how can, if you're talking about a rabbonim, so and you can't support two wives, so the Gemara itself says it's also because you're mechuyiv to give mezaynas to one. And therefore, Lechorah, our friend in Bendin, is in a problem. He won't be able to marry a second wife. So Rav Yosef Engel was mater, though, however, not from the way Rocky Vega did. He was mater, this man, from another reason. And what he uses here is something which I think is, is worthwhile to hear. He says that the idea that Rav says that you can't marry a second wife if you can't support both is only if there's no mitzvah to have married that second wife. If there's a mitzvah, if you have a mitzvah chiyuvis to marry the second wife, then, or an aveira, by not marrying the second wife, then, even though you don't have mezunos for the first one, you won't give her mezunos. Why? Because if by giving mezunos to the wife that was the shota, you are now going to be doing an isur, there's no chiv to give mizonos to a woman to do any mitzvah by doing that mitzvah in Isra. Rabbi Yassav Engel says it can't be worse than, let's say, if a person needs mizonos for himself, right? You have a chiv to, to support yourself. But the only way you can support yourself is by stealing, is by robbing, is by killing. You're not going to say, well, I have a chiv, I have to, I have to be mafarnas myself. If there's an aveira involved, there cannot be a mitzvah to support if the support can only come through an Aveiro, then there is no mitzvah to support that person. So, the, uh, w- so what Aveiro is there, staying in that situation. So Rabbi Yosef Engel, based on the chuvis the radach, Rabbi David Cohen uh, from a kadma, he says, the way he words the Gemara, the Gemara in Yavama says, that a person cannot be in a situation where he's not married, that it's also to stay not married. Why? Because the pasuk says, "Right in the beginning of, and say before Matan Torah." But the Radach says that that's an iser menateira. So, if a person uh, by staying married and not allowing him to get married to someone else, he has been he's going to be over an iser. Now, what is now? Even though it's true, he says that sometimes the rabbis create where they say uh, you can't travel uh, outside of the Tchum even for a mitzvah rabba. Uh, we know that, the, that they were mavato the mitzvah uh, of Shorifer on Shabbos, even though there's a mitzvah. So Rabbi Yosef Engel says that's because even though the Rabbonins are very strong, and sometimes you have to keep a mitzvah the Rabbonin, even though uh, the other mitzvah isn't being done, that's where there's a mitzvah say that falls by the wayside because the Mitzvah Yisr der is stronger. Here, the Mitzvah der Rabbonin, to be mafarnas, your wife, the shota, can't be stronger than an Aveira, a Mitzvah that's really and essentially an Aveira, if you, if you don't fulfill it. What's the Aveira, Rabbi Yosef Engel says? To be a person who is not married lends itself almost automatically to a life of Yisr, because men are men. <laughs> and a man without a woman to live with, without a woman that he could have a, 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 a sexual relation with in a normal fashion, that is living a life of avera bapoyo. Rabbi Yosef Engel says. So it's therefore, which again is sort of a Hasidish way of looking at uh, at living with, with 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 without a functioning marriage, and therefore he says that it can't be that for the mitzvah the rabbanon of being mafarness. The first wife, he is going to be in an avera state by living without a, a wife that he can actually have a real relationship with, because living with in, in a situation where you don't have a real relationship with that person, and you don't have a relationship with a, a man, doesn't have a relationship with a, with a woman, is a is a status of yisur. It's from the very beginning Rabbi, of the Torah. Rabbi, yes, Rabbi, maybe maybe it's a sin. Uh, it's an Avera not to support his first wife who 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 is unstable. Maybe that's an Avera. That's true, but this it's a Shebud uh a henach. He has a Shebud as a married person. You have a Shebud Mamon to your wife. Now, it could be a Shebud that the Torah creates from the Pasik Shirk Susvona. It might be a Abonon, that the Rabonan because of the Ksuva you took on upon yourself, but it can't be greater. It, it, it doesn't take precedence when, when now by by having fealty to this woman, that you are going to be in a state of Aveira. Now I know what you're saying. You're saying it isn't just support of money. It's 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 humanity. It's 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 what any compassionate person can do. No doubt about it. That would be. But on there he could say, well, the community should support her, right? Right. She's a woman. Right. Who needs help? But it's sure. not, you can't say that it's my chiv. You can't say that the poor man from Bendin can't remarry because, and can't have a normal life because he's mechuyiv to pay for this woman who's a shoy to, to and, and therefore he won't be able to have a second wife. So therefore he says that, um, that, and, and again he uses, as Rabbi Weiss says, he goes through all through shas to show you where this principle uh, how the mitzvahs the Rabbonin, are connected to the mitzvahs from the Torah, but at the end, as you can see, that obviously uh, this uh, to ask this person not to be married. Uh, we know when I, when it comes to ashavas aveda or kibbut aveim a person is even kibbut aveim Let's talk about what you're saying, anach Kibbut aveim Rabbi Yosef Engel says. Even if you say that, it, first of all, we pascan that it comes from the father, not from the child. And a child doesn't have to lose his, his, his uh, to do an avera, to help his father, uh, to, to give his father what he wants. A person doesn't have to lose his, he doesn't have to lose his, that's more important than money. Then even if you want to say a person has to pay for the support of his parents, which we don't pascan like that, but you don't have to lose uh, and you don't have to lose your alam for your parents. You don't have to. That's considered too much of a sacrifice. In the same way, or hashavas Saveda for somebody else, you don't have to lose in order to return a lost item, even though it's a great mitzvah. Here, he says that this is a uh, a loss to himself that can never be recovered. So he says that, uh, and then I just read you the end of his pesach. As he says that, that in order to keep supporting her, if he's doing an avera by doing that, he says it's no better than himself, and therefore he gave a heter for the man to remarry, and I think it's a quite a uh, an interesting and brilliant approach. As to 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 let this person off the hook, and to allow him, and he does it again in a way that's original and unique. And I think you see it complements what Rabbi um, what Rabbi Weiss was saying. Rabbi Weiss showed you Rabbi Yosef Engel in the abstract. Here's Rabbi Yosef Engel dealing with a person with a problem on the ground, and through the type of heady analysis and understanding that he brought to, he was it was he allowed this person to perhaps have another chance in life. And that really shows you, again, uh, the greatness of being able to think analytically and being able to apply it in such, in such an important manner. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.